second chapter of Second Thessalonians, I am going to digress this morning from the line of thought we have been following more or less the past few evenings, and yet we don't digress since this is all of one piece, but I feel that perhaps the Lord would have us look at this setting this morning in the light of the world situation and hear in you the admonition of the Holy Spirit, especially in the last verses. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter is from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand, that no man deceive you by any means. For that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself. Above all it is called God, or that is worship so that he, as God, sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember you not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now you know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they received and not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye have been taught, whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Most of us, I am sure, have read Rip Van Winkle, and you will remember that he slept through a revolution. He's not the only person who ever did that. A great many Christians have done it. Some of them have slept through revivals and some of them have slept through great awakenings in history. When John Wesley was being used so mightily of God in England, one of the foremost churchmen of his time said, I fail to see any great work of God going on anywhere. 
You'll remember that Rip Van Winkle uh, went to sleep when uh, George III was the ruler of America, and when he woke up, George Washington was president of the United States. But he didn't know the difference and started whooping it up for the king, almost got into jail. He was hollering for the wrong George. There is such a thing, and uh, extremely possible today, uh, in these tragic times, many well-meaning but mistaken souls are doing just that, not so much for a former monarch of a day past, but for a false Messiah of a day to come. This chapter tells us about the two personalities to emerge at the end of the age with two different programs. Our Lord Jesus Christ will return to reign over a kingdom of peace and plenty, while the devil is chained in the bottomless pit. But before that, Antichrist will have his fling. Satan is the great imitator. God never started anything, but the devil came up with a counterfeit. Every time Moses works a miracle, Jannies and Jambres are always in the offing. So the great imitator presents a false millennium. And this false millennium... Uh, ranges all the way from the new day offered by communism to <clears throat> the world brotherhood of the religious liberal, that is, in, its, in the foretaste we're having of it now. Satan uses sometimes the language of Christianity to deceive untaught Christians. But by whatever name, this counterfeit millennium is the vain effort of old Adam to regain the lost paradise and build kingdom without the king. There is a spirit behind uh, most of the movements now promising a new world that is not Christian, although sometimes it may quote scripture in its behalf. There is something sinister and satanic and dark and evil that breathes in all these reforms now so popular. It's not new light breaking through. It's darkness settling down. It's a wolf in sheep's clothing. It is Satan the mock angel putting over his program. It is unregenerate men trying to create a society that can exist only when Christ reigns. And whoever champions their cause is hollering for the wrong George. Uh, long ago, Lenin said to... Uh, some of the students of revolution in Moscow. We will find our most fertile field for infiltration of Marxism within the field of religion because religious people are the most gullible and will accept almost anything if it is couched in religious terminology. Now that betrays an amazing wisdom of the devil because uh, that's, that's so. There's a new book out on Revelation by Dr. Torrance of the University of Edinburgh. It is not the usual type of fundamentalist book on Revelation, but this man does say some amazing things that are worthy of our consideration. One of them is that 666 is the number of so-called Christian civilization without Jesus Christ. It is the number of every attempt to organize the world in a form that appears marvelously Christian but is in reality anti-Christian. 
Our Lord warned us that whenever people say, here is the kingdom of God, or there is the kingdom of God, not to believe them, for the kingdom of God does not come with observation. One of the tricks of the devil today is to deceive Christians into supporting projects and programs by which unregenerate men claim to be applying Christian principles and trying to create an ideal world out of unideal people. And it's amazing uh, who is saying some things today. Even Khrushchev in his Des Moines speech said, we want to build a land where there is no enmity, where there is complete equality such as was preached by Christ. So it seems that uh, even at the very depths of this business, uh, the name of the Lord himself is dragged into the argument. These men are trying to force these uh, men in another category, not Mr. Khrushchev, but I'm thinking now not so much of these grosser forms of iniquity as of projects that are put on, some of them by professing Christians at least, who are trying to change this world order today simply by endeavoring to superimpose the pattern of the kingdom of God on this sinful world. And they confuse the ideals of heaven with the facts of earth. The Sermon on the Mount and the Golden Rule cannot be legislated into the constitutions of this age. And we're hearing everywhere now, lo here and lo there, false Christ and false kingdoms and false millenniums and to try to set it up ahead of time is impossible although churchmen may endorse it and quote scripture and use the language of Christianity to endorse it. They're doomed to disappointment and Bishop Ryle said nothing so chills and dampens the faith of Christians as indulging in unscriptural expectations. There's an illustration in the Old Testament of uh, the wrong kind of a project, even though it could quote scripture in its behalf. You remember that in 1 Kings 22 and 2 Chronicles 18, Ahab decided to go up against Ramoth Gideon. Now this was the case of a bad man trying to do a good thing the wrong way. And so no wonder they got mixed up. He could quote scripture if he wanted to because Deuteronomy 4.43 said that Ramoth Gilead belonged to them. They had a perfect right to it. So he set out the wrong man to make the venture and he inveigled Jehoshaphat into the deal. Jehoshaphat was a good man, but he was easily influenced and Ahab put on a supper, a banquet to line him up. And of course, about all that some folks need to do or to have today in order to get them trapped in such projects is just one big kickoff supper. <laughs> so they had the kickoff supper, and Jehoshaphat fell for it. And then he had a bright idea. It was a little late for such a notion to come to his mind, but he suggested that they call in the prophets and consult to what might be the mind of the Lord in the matter. A little late since they'd already made up their minds, but no later than you and I uh, sometimes when we decide what we're going to do and then ask God to bless it instead of first asking God what to do. So that's what they did. And they called in 400 preachers. It's never any trouble to get 400 preachers together when you can talk to two kings at one time. Who would miss a chance like that? 
So all these 400 reverends came, and all of them said, Go up and prosper. Well, that sounded too unanimous, because any time 400 preachers are agreed, there's ground for uneasiness. <laughs> and uh, after these fellows had all chimed in with a miserable monotony, Jehoshaphat asked a very wise question. Is there not a prophet of the Lord here besides? Uh, 400's an even number. He said, do we have an odd number anywhere in the neighborhood? And Ahab said, yes, there is number 401, but I hate him, which is the best endorsement that old Micaiah ever had. It's a great boost to be hated by some people. He said, I'll send for him. Old Joseph Parker used to say, the world always hates the 401st prophet. So they sent for number 401. And uh, the man who'd been sent for him, as they came back, he advanced a very peculiar argument. He did not say the kings have decided to go up against Ramoth Gideon. He said the prophets have decided that it's a good thing to do. Do you see the subtlety of that? The clergy have endorsed it. And now don't you spoil what would be otherwise a perfectly lovely day. Don't you know you've got a reputation for that? And what's it getting you? Look where you are. There's no chance of promotion in that sort of business. And oh, Micaiah said what the Lord says unto me. That will I speak. Well, you know the rest of it. Now, beloved, this is a day of campaigns against Ramoth Gideon. And any Micaiah is made to appear a, an obstructionist and a reactionary if he doesn't endorse these projects. The church missed the road a long time ago under Constantine. Up until his time, they'd been pretty generally pilgrims and strangers, aliens and exiles whose citizenship was in heaven. Then they started building the kingdom down here instead of looking for the king from heaven, and they became entangled with the affairs of this life. Our Lord didn't have much to say about the projects of this world. He didn't have much to say about taxation or any of those obligations, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. Paul had a little to say on the subject, but I don't read of any seminars on slavery that were held, any symposiums on what to do about the Roman Empire. Today, Christians have been hooked into every kind of project and are riding every bandwagon by which advanced agents of Antichrist are promoting false millenniums. I want you to take this thought home with you if you forget all else that I say this morning. The church has a solo part in this age and was never meant to play the accompaniment to anything. Will you get that in your system this morning? We are called to a solo performance in this world. We were never meant to beat the drums and second the motion for any of the projects of this age. We have our work cut out for us and we were never supposed to be the flunkies of every Ahab and Jehoshaphat who wants to go up against any Ramoth Gilead whatsoever. I have read of a lighthouse keeper who was given a supply of oil to keep the big light burning. But the story goes that one night an old lady came along and needed some fuel for a fire, and he let her have some oil, and an old man needed some oil for his boat, and he gave him some, and so it went on 
for days and days. And one night there was an awful storm and many lives were lost because the big light went out and the big light went out because the supply of oil had failed. It had been dribbled out on secondary objects. And there's such a thing as the church dribbling her power here and there and then forgetting the big business of the church just because we get wrapped up in secondary objects of mercy. We have a big business in this world. There was another prophet at the time of Micah, and his name was uh, Obadiah. During the days of Elijah, there was Obadiah, who was a sort of a, a stooge for Ahab. I think he was a good man at heart. He hid a uh, hundred prophets, you remember, in a cave one time, which was all right, except I've always thought that any prophet you'd have to hide in a cave wouldn't be worth much in broad daylight anyway. But anyhow, he hid a hundred of them in a cave. But the worst thing about this whole thing is that Obadiah was running around with Ahab looking for grass when he ought to have been on his knees with Elijah praying for rain. And we have an awful lot of people today who are awfully busy with the projects of Ahab. The same thing was true when Amos went up to Bethel. There was Dr. Amaziah who was the court preacher and this rustic uh, suddenly broke into that fashionable center in that uh, religious uh, city with all his uh, denunciations of evil. And, of course, Amos knew nothing about this way of saying one thing when he meant to say something else. He was no expert at the art of almost saying something. He didn't know how to talk out of both sides of his mouth. He called things exactly what they were. And, of course, no Amaziah ever does that. So Amaziah said, you don't belong up here in the boulevards. You belong down in the backwoods. Now get going, because this is the king's chapel and the king's court. Well, Amaziah, you see, was an accompanist. And Obadiah was an accompanist, but Elijah was a soloist. And Amos was a soloist. And the church of the living God today has its solo part. And as far as I can see, we... We have four things to do, and I'm not, this is not my outline at all, these four things, but I want to leave them with you. The first obligation of the church is to repent because the last thing the Lord said to the church is, the church is, mind you, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the local churches. Don't forget that. There are a lot of people who talk about the invisible church who somehow never get down to the local church down on the corner. The churches. We need, first of all, to repent. That's the last thing the average church will do. And then we need to produce a better grade of Christians in our churches. The level of Christian living today is a scandal. And then we need to declare God's program for this age. And then we need to be busy gathering in a crop of souls, one last crop, before God rings the curtain down. Now, that's a big program, and that'll keep us busy. I remember when I went to my last pastorate. Why, well, I hadn't been there any time until all these little projects against Ramoth Gilead began asking me to pronounce an invocation here and a benediction over there, helping the dead bury the dead. I was called in all directions. The sons and daughters of I will arise were having a little get-together. Would I come over there? And, and tomorrow night they're having a dinner to raise funds to buy mosquito netting for Eskimos. Will you come over and endorse that project? They would have warned me to death and run me crazy. 
Will you come over here and pray for world peace? Well, who wouldn't pray for world peace? But I knew that in that meeting, if I got up and prayed for world peace the way the Bible says we ought to do it, why, I would be utterly out of tune with the entire get-together. Maybe you should have gone anyhow. But I didn't feel much lured by any such prospect. Now, I don't mean, beloved, that you can't belong to the PTA or the Civic Club, but whatever you are in, if you must get in these various organizations, whatever you do in there, do it within the framework of the Christian faith because we're headed another direction. A Christian is a contradiction to this age. His viewpoint starts at a different source and follows a different course and arrives at a different conclusion. Two cannot walk together except they be agreed, and there is no possible way to reconcile the program of Jesus Christ with the projects of this age. The issue now is just what it always has been, Christ or Antichrist, God who became man and the man who will claim to be God. That's the issue. There was a Roman peace when the Lord came the first time. There was a period of law and order by imperial force. Before he comes again, there'll be another Roman peace. I know we differ about these details. I'm well aware of that. I'm well aware that right here this morning, that if you wanted to start a discussion of all these things, why, uh, I don't know when we'd ever get away from here. And it's a little disturbing to me. I, a few years ago, the hope of our Lord's return was a blessed thing that tied everybody together and Somehow the devil has gotten in these days and got everybody so busy arguing about rapture and tribulation and all the rest of it that somehow we're not rejoicing in it like we ought to. There was a time when I could say, well, if I don't see you again here, I'll see you on the way up. And I just left it at that. I'll see you, you know, on the way up. But now I've got to modify that and say to some of them, I'll see you after three and a half years. <laughs> somebody else after seven years and I'm going to cut it all out and just say I'll be seeing you and let it go <laughs> you've got a right to your convictions about it and I've got a right to mine and after all this week we're not going to fuss about all these things because we're enjoying the things of the Lord too much but uh, uh, I personally, I'm the one that's up here talking now, so I, I, I personally feel that when uh, this uh, demonic character rises up, he will find a Roman peace in this world. Now, uh, we're seeing the preliminaries of all this business even now, the blueprints of the last empire of the Caesars foreshadowed by confederacies like Western Europe, NATO and other developments or straws in the wind, and the ecumenical movements, overtures from Pope John, UN and internationalism all point toward the world church and the world state, the harlot and the beast, the regimentation that you're seeing everywhere now, uniformity, conformity, the leveling of the human race into one faceless mass the amalgamation and the mongrelization of mankind, which reminds us of the pre-flood days and their unholy mixture. Because while there again, there might be differences of opinion about the uh, sons of God and the daughters of men and whether it was the Canaanites and the Sethites or whoever, the, the facts in the case or it was an unholy mixture. And if we have ever witnessed an unholy mixture being cooked up, it is at this present hour. 
the lines of demarcation are being erased and whenever you start uh, separating what God joined and mixing what God separated, you get into trouble. And we're doing both today in every direction. There is the movement to get all the nations together into a world state, to get all the denominations together into a world church, to get all the religions together into a world faith, to get all the races together into one world race. And all of this is a preview of that profane paradise when the counterfeit Messiah shall reign, the last false Christ. But important clergymen will endorse it, and some churches will put it in the budget, and idealists will crusade for it, and it offers rash amateurs and misguided youths a cause and a chance to be martyrs, and it provides a field day for all Rip Van Winkles who suddenly wake up and have to holler even though it be for the wrong George. It gives somebody an opportunity that hasn't had one and they seize upon it. After all, it heads toward the big lie. You remember that Romans 1.25 in that uh, chapter of the awful depravity of the human heart and the human race says they changed the truth of God into a lie. Well, that's the way it started. And then I read to you a moment ago where that men will believe a lie. Now, somewhere between these two lies, we are today in history. The history of human depravity begins and ends with a lie because the devil is a liar and the father of it. It began in the Garden of Eden, ye shall not surely die. And all the unmentionable sins described in Romans 1 grew out of that initial deception. I read that God will send the lie. And that's not permission, beloved. That's retribution. Many will come saying, I am Christ, and will deceive many. And it will reach its climax in the ultimate lie, the man of sin, the Antichrist. We're being primed today for that final delusion. Barnum the showman used to say the American people love to be humbugged. And they do. Uh, it runs in the blood. We take to it like a duck to water. We're the most sophisticated and at the same time the most gullible crowd that ever has come along. You can sell more gold bricks and more white elephants to this generation today than at any time in history. All day and most of the night we are, being, we are hearing radio and television peddlers singing their commercials and oft times peddling lies, this is the best detergent, this is the best toothpaste, this is the best automobile. You know it's a lot of hokum, but you get right up and go out and buy one of them because you have been brainwashed by these, this uh, subtle movement of the times. And yesterday we read in our papers of the death of Judge Learned Hand, one of the greatest jurists uh, who's ever lived in this country who for some strange reason that uh, after all you don't have to think too long to maybe figure out never got appointed to the Supreme Court said these strange movements today like motivational research and the hidden persuaders are all black art we are being manipulated today by men who some of them are also being manipulated by the powers of darkness it's a strange show that's going on today. The other day riding on a bus, I heard two fellows of darkness. 
It's a strange show that's going on. The other day, riding on a bus, I heard two fellows before me discussing the times and proposing the cure for the world's ills, and it was the same old story. Of course, I listened. I wanted to know, you know, what the final solution was, and they seemed to have it, but I said, this is old Adam trying to figure it out again. By education, ventilation, sanitation, legislation, we shall bring in the new earth. And even Henry Drummond, who worked with D.L. Moody, was so fooled by all that that he said any city is the new Jerusalem if we but make it so. Believe the dream, it cannot be a false report, the prophets see. They grasp the starry dim surmise because they see with clearer eyes the holy city coming down, a cleaner, better every town. That's the argument of this age, forgetting that except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Mixing everybody together socially and even religiously into one mulligan stew won't do it. The idea that you can change the quality of bad eggs by mixing them into one big omelet is not the solution. The Chinese have a proverb, you cannot carve rotten wood. And uh, how much truth there is in that. You can't take unregenerate humanity and build anything that'll endure. When the first disarmament conference was held in Europe, Oh, Will Rogers said those fellows might get somewhere if it wasn't for human nature. I don't know of any better way to say it than that. That's why you can't get humanity together. Now, of course, Christians should work with others in maintaining law and order and seeking as much peace as is possible under the circumstances. But we do all this, realizing that all these things are temporary measures, and we're not going to pay any price for peace or be snared into unholy alliances with this age on the ground that the end justifies the means. Mr. Spurgeon said, apart from the second coming of Christ, the world is more likely to sink into a pandemonium than to rise to a millennium. We're not building the kingdom now. Our time's coming. Our king will set up the kingdom when he comes. And in this age, he reigns in our hearts in a kingdom that's not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. We're a persecuted minority of aliens and foreigners in this world. We're a David's band in a cave of Adullam. Our king's an exile, and we share his reproach down here. Or we ought to be willing to. I wonder sometimes how easy it is to sing to the old rugged cross, I'll ever be true. It's shame and reproach gladly bear. And then fold up the reproach in the hymn book and go out and forget all about it. There are three S's in that connection that have caused me a good deal of concern. Paul said we apostles are the scum of the earth, actually. I wonder how many volunteers I'd get today if I started out asking how many were willing to be the scum of the earth in the eyes of this world today. And a spectacle to the world, that's a theater, just a show to this age, are you certain you're willing to be a spectacle to this world for the scandal of the cross? The scum of the earth and a spectacle to the world for the scandal of the cross. Do you think you could qualify for that? Now, Satan's going to launch many a movement under religious auspices in order to maneuver 
Christians into an awkward position. And by refusing to endorse his peace program, we shall be accused of being warmongers. By refusing to join the world church, uh, we shall appear exclusive. And by refusing to get excited over internationalism and the world state, we shall be called isolationists and reactionaries. I remember standing in a crowd before General Douglas MacArthur when on his 75th birthday he said, seductive murmurs are arising that we are provincial and immature or reactionary and stupid when we idealize our own country and that there is a higher destiny for us under another more general flag. And the old general said, repudiate that from the pulpit and the press and the platform. And just because we refuse to hoop it up for collectivizing humanity so that the individual gets lost in the crowd, they will call us odd numbers and stubborn egotists. But the true Christian is not going to be taken in by advance agents of a false millennium. He hears the serpent's hiss behind all these pious phrases, and he is not interested in hollering for the wrong George. Now, of course, there's no use trying to explain all this to the world, because my Lord said that there's such a thing as casting pearls before swine and holy things to dogs. This world can't understand that. You don't start there with this world. Uh, you might as well try to describe a sunset to a blind man. Uh, or uh, you might as well expect to hear a, uh, to have a deaf man hear a sonata as to explain these things to a man who's never been born again. He may be a Ph.D., and being a Ph.D. helps in some realms, but it does not help at all in this realm until he's been born again. Until he's had his eyes open, all this is another language, and Ph.D., so far as this goes, only means phenomenal dud. He can't take in any of it at all whatsoever. So don't waste your time. I'm talking to Christians this morning for the most part. We're here as a group of the Lord's people, but I warn you, in the name of the Lord, don't get trapped. As you go back to your church and community and all these projects come along, and Ahab and Jehoshaphat take off to Ramoth Gilead even sometimes with a, a religious supper to start it off. Don't get fooled in all these deals. And remember the admonition given here, stand up, stand fast, and resolute. I've read of a trial where the man on trial was told by the judge, now you're allowed to have a lawyer. And he said, there's a lawyer over there to your right, and there's another one over there to your left, and there's another one out in the hall. You can have your pick. And this poor fellow looked at the lawyer over on the right and looked at the one over on the left and said, Your Honor, I believe I'll take a chance on the one out in the hall. <laughs> well, today, we're looking at all kind of false saviors, rightest and leftists here and yonder. And yet, my friends, there is a blessedly sobering thought and that is this, if I may turn the application. The Savior's in the hole, for our Lord is in the wings and even at the door, but there's another out in the hole. The grim figure of Antichrist looms without, and when he appears, he won't be grim. Not at first. He'll be the most gracious personality who ever came along. And his advance agents are built on that plan. His advanced stooges are already with us. 
and so pleasant as to make it appear evil not to endorse them, but be not deceived, false Christ and false prophets shall rise and show signs and wonders to seduce, if possible, the very elect. But take ye heed, behold, I have foretold you all things. No wonder that this chapter ends, therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which ye've been taught whether by word or our epistle. Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself, and God even our Father, which hath loved us, and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. I wonder if you are prepared this morning to stand and sing in closing number 238, Stand up, stand up for Jesus. Ye soldiers of the cross, lift high his royal banner, it must not suffer loss. From victory unto victory, his army shall he lead, till every foe is vanquished, and Christ is Lord indeed.